podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good evening, folks. Welcome to another episode of the Touchline Fracker podcast Sunday. So, you know, we have to bring you all the fun and all the all the disheartening moments of the weekend, especially when it comes to the Premier League. Uh, I was here last week in a co-host capacity. I'm here this week in a hosting capacity. And I've got a, a very interesting mix of um, co-hosts this week. Um, I'm going to start with the first one. Mush, how you doing, bro? Every few days, man, my mental health's taken a battering, but I'm here. I'm here, rain or shine, and uh, yeah, it's good to be on. Thank you. Yeah, rain or shine. It seems like it's raining a lot in Merseyside these days, boy. But let me not let me not speak too much on that. Um, Stevie, how you doing, bro? I'm surprised that you you even know what touchline is. I'm surprised you know what football is because you don't really strike me as a United fan, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna come on to Spurs and when we do I'm gonna be on your neck <laughs> I'm gonna be on your neck all right cool bro. so uh, yeah don't worry about that man you're right yeah yeah I'm I'm yeah you know how it is <laughs> you know how it is all right, all right, one all right. ship club to another isn't it <laughs> all right bro say nothing man um and we got the two Dans man wow so it's a it must be a weird weekend having two Arsenal fans on the pod I, don't, I can't remember the last time we've had two Arsenal fans on the pod, but I mean, it must be something good over there in the, the bad side of North London. So, um, German Dan, how you doing, bro? I'm all good, bro. I'm all good. Yeah. I'm always local, bro. You know, I'm on the Discord. Win, yeah. lose, or draw. To be fair, you are as well, so, but can't say the same for everyone, but you know what it is. <laughs> yeah, you know man. what, yeah? I've got to say, this is a mad thing, because this is the first time I've seen German Dan in person, and I just assumed he was white. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? What the hell? This is this because yeah, obviously, I'm I'm sure most of the German population is white now. <laughs> wouldn't Wouldn't you come to the same conclusion? Sorry, uh, he doesn't sound white though. Yeah, but anyway, I don't know what German sound like in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, that, that uh, voice you heard before, Steve's. I, I, you know what? In fact, German Dan, defend yourself before I move on to the next guest. You know what? I'm... I don't know Steve enough to to shoot him, but let me let me let me let me see what how the podcast goes, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> nah, shoot away, that wasn't even an attack at you. It was a, <laughs> it was a nice surprise. Steve, isn't it? United fan, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bet I bet you got a bunch of excuses lined up for Greenwood. Don't worry, we'll get into it. <laughs> uh, cool. And then well, the last. Worry one. about your boy Saliba, innit? Hey, hey, bro. It's, I'm still introducing the. Why, why is it offensive, bro? No, I'm, I'm not defensive. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then uh, the last co-host, uh, Dan Coogs, bro. Streets are saying you've been missing this weekend. I'm not going to tell them why you've been missing, but bro, Streets been saying you've been missing. You good, yeah? Yeah, I'm I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, the thing is, I jumped on a, I jumped on a Discord and I missed every single bow possible this weekend. This peak, um, I had I had I had, I had some business to handle in it. You get me? So I'm back now, innit? I'm back. Don't worry, yeah. don't worry. We we ain't gonna shed too much light on the significance of this weekend, particularly today. But you know, their man there, bro. Uh, <laughs> You were right about one thing. There were a heck of a lot of bows this weekend. Unfortunately, I missed them. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to administer any bows myself. But I think the, we may as well start with the earliest, the earliest match of the weekend and probably <laughs> the most bow-worthy match of the weekend. Um, let's start off with Leicester and, and Liverpool. Obviously, Leicester turning over Liverpool um, all in a space of, what, seven or eight minutes? Um, and a, a certain co-host that's with us today, once said about Liverpool that whatever the lineup, whatever the system, they're ready. The same co-host also predicted that Liverpool would have a, what, 10 to 15 point gap from the rest. So, Moose, come and defend your club, bro. Come and tell us how that match went from domination to straight capitulation. Well, he's got the gap right, boy, because it is looking like 10 to 15. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Here we go. Um, Yeah, man, Uh, it's... It's such a weird game to to describe because it, it, it's almost like the the vast majority of the game has no significance as to what the result became. And I think the story of the game was really interesting because when Liverpool were good, they were good for reasons that a lot of Liverpool fans and, you know, Jurgen Klopp, I'm sure in general, has been waiting to see, which is Sadio Mane electric, the best he's played in, in at least two, two to three months. Um <clears throat> the way Liverpool set up was a lot higher up the pitch. And I don't know if any of you guys, but I do urge anyone who has the chance to listen to the last Cop and Fracas episode. It's a great episode about kind of us Liverpool fans digging into what we think is going wrong. And that includes Jurgen Klopp. That includes a lot of the star players that maybe other fans feel are too defended by Liverpool fans. But I think one thing that I'd been calling for was that Jurgen Klopp has been successful with a certain method of football. And you've brought in someone like Thiago. You've brought players like Naby Keita before. And ultimately, whether they're available or not, or whether they're playing well or not, you need to stop giving every player the same job spec. So James Milner being on the pitch, Liverpool started in the best way possible. They absolutely congested and choked the front end of the pitch. And I just think it set the right precedent. It was a Liverpool that a lot of people recognised. Um, and I think the main thing was that Leicester could not get Madison in the game, could not get Barnes in the game, could not get Vardy in the game. And obviously we know that Jordan Henderson's still playing at the back, which is a position that he's not used to. Um, and he started with Ozan Kabak, who made his debut. But I think what Liverpool did well was they didn't give Leicester the chance to really find out if Liverpool were going to get troubled. But the moment they clocked on that, why waste time trying to play through the pitch when you can just go long and see what these, this defence is really about? Jamie Vardy got in and they had better chances than Liverpool in terms of how clear cut they were. But in terms of control of the game, there, there was there was nothing that I think Jurgen Klopp or Liverpool fans would have complained about. But yeah, James Milner came off after about 25 minutes and Thiago came on. I, I thought he was absolutely shocking when he came on um, in terms of played the opposite of how every other player was playing in the Liverpool shirt. But what I would say is that that 
poor performance didn't affect how Liverpool controlled the match. And yeah, a half-time kicked in. Liverpool kicked off. First 20 minutes, absolutely buzzing. Leicester choked out the pitch. Thiago actually won five or six tackles to Harvey on Harvey Barnes. Didn't dribble out once. But then the moment Leicester started making their way up the pitch, all hell broke loose, man. And and I'm sure anyone watching who doesn't support Liverpool was was just just had a massive smile on their face of how it unfolded. But Thiago with a really stupid foul, which Henderson you could see wasn't happy with. And then <clears throat> I'm sure we're going to explore these in more detail. But Allison and Kabak with an absolute mess up. And then by then heads had absolutely gone, and Harvey Barnes broke through to score the end. But I'm sure you guys have a lot of questions for my little quick and easy breakdown there. But yeah, it was, it was sad that 70 minutes of probably Liverpool's best football for absolutely ages is undone and it counts for nothing because Liverpool are a glass chin at the moment, no matter how skilled a fighter they are. So that's the way it's moving at the moment, man. Yeah, yeah. Good good, good summary, to be honest. Um, very good summary, in fact. You've actually glossed over most of the points that um, I was going to mention, but I mean, we can gloss over them again. Damage limitation, my <laughs> friend. That's why I do these monologues. So, so, so German Dan, I'm going to come to you because uh, Mush just mentioned that that's probably the best Liverpool have played in a long time. Would you agree with that statement? And also... I just want you to share your thoughts on Alison Blunderland yet again, because it's now two successive games where he's made three high profile yep. errors combined and it's ultimately gone to cuss Liverpool the game. Do you feel like that's, this is something to be sort of like a cause for concern for Liverpool long term? Or do you think this is just an indication of sort of goal, modern day goalkeepers and their tendency to make mistakes? Yeah. I think on Alison quickly, I just, I don't think it's, it's too much of a worry at the moment. Of of course, last two games shocking, and um, he's big part of the reason why they lost both games. But I think he has he has enough credit in the bank for me to, to kind of skip over him. Um, just just a few more games, but not too much longer. You know, like we we've got our eyes on him. Um, but on Liverpool, I can't lie. Like I think this huff and puff style that they've been doing for the last couple of weeks are this. It's just kind of it's kind of what they've been doing. Like choking teams, like pressing teams really high not necessarily creating clear, clear cut chances, but like half chances where you think, yeah, if they inform, they'll probably score this. And then they don't score and they lose momentum and then they get hit. They always get there. As you said, glass chin. It's like, um, it's like you, you're attacking. If you're a boxer, you're attacking all the time. And then someone lands, lands a good counter punch on you and, um, and then lands another one and lands another one. So that, I think that's what's been happening to you guys. And it's just because, the punches that you've been landing on or you've been trying to land on other teams, they're just not been efficient enough. You're not hitting the body well enough. You're not hitting the face well, well enough. You're, it's just huff and puff in a way. So I think whether that is quality um, just or form, I think probably a bit, of, a bit of both. I think the biggest thing when I look at Liverpool is their midfield now, where I feel like it doesn't have the energy or the way they play um, from last, last year. I think Liverpool were very much based on not even creativity from midfield, but being able to press teams very high. And um, of, of course, the centre-backs miss as well, but I think it's mainly the midfields. They don't press teams as high. They don't trouble teams as bad as they used to do. And um, yeah, I think their tempo is, even though they, they they tried to do that in the Leicester game a bit better than the other couple of games I've seen them play, but their tempo is just not the same. Like I know this rock and roll style is like, it's a bit of a meme thing, but they used to, they go so quickly from attack to defence usually. So now I think it's one, two more passes. It, it just doesn't hit the same. And when they're when they're when they're people are not in form as well, 
um, things things don't come together well. Um, and yeah, and you're just getting counterattacked at the moment, counterpunched. Dan, Dan, can I disagree with something you said here? And this is not actually to defend Liverpool, but it's actually the other way around. Because you said about Alisson having credit in the bank. And ultimately, when you've got players out of position, when you've got very inexperienced players playing as well, it is not the time for you as a senior player for you to be having lapses. So I, I, I'm fine with having credit in the bank when everything else is settled, because there's never going to be a stage where all 11 players are in a good moment. But now is not the time to be a key component in the team and be messing up when other places are so vulnerable. Yeah, I mean, I look at our listener, the way I look at players mainly is, um, are you a good player or not? If you're a good player, most time, if I think like, like generally that you're a good player, most time I will allow you, even if you make mistakes and stuff. So my opinion on Aston is simply that I think he's a very, very good goalkeeper. So um, I kind of can gloss over the, those type of mistakes more easily than when I think someone is not good. If he was not good, I would be on him like, after one mistake. But I think he's good. So I, at the end, of the, at the end, like if he makes mistakes and Liverpool lose, it don't hurt me, you know. So it's, <laughs> I'm Gucci. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I got, I got um, a question. Yeah, um, just on, uh, I guess Liverpool's main signing of the of the summer. This uh, the idea Bulls, uh, Payella Marcus Houston. Yeah. Um, uh, Tiago in it, yeah, because for me, um, for me, it's a, uh, it's, it's very questionable as to like I know people are saying Liverpool need a creative midfielder, um, they need someone who can you know sort of add some attacking impetus um, from midfield because previously you know as Dan mentioned you you your your midfield were used as more pressing agents uh, used to shield um, bombing fullbacks this that and the other and I don't disagree with that sentiment but. Um, I guess my, my main question is, was Thiago the right type of midfielder that you guys actually needed to sign? Because obviously, I, I think Klopp is a very good manager and he's capable of changing styles. But um, I feel like Thiago is a midfielder that you actually need to play to his strengths if he's going to be useful, right? And if, you know, you're sort of playing with that midfield free, if you look at the profile of midfielders that Liverpool have used on the clock, right, you've got your defensive mids who, you know, shield the back three, cover the fullbacks like Fabinho or Henderson when they play there. And then you've got your uh, eights who are pressing agents and... Um, they're shuttlers. And, and, and they're shuttlers and they recycle the ball when they're in possession, right? So when Thiago comes in and you're looking at him being that, that number six position I don't think he's that good defensively to really play there um for Liverpool and cover like the big areas of space and we've seen that he's he's just when it, when he whenever he's played there he's just getting himself booked left right and center giving away stupid free kicks and when he's in the eight I don't think he does enough um in possession or on the ball to affect the final the final third enough um or because uh, I feel like if you're using him as a possession recycler only, you already have one out there who does yeah. that, you know. So I don't really see what Thiago is doing in that midfield in that midfield at the moment. And I think that's part of the reason why he's struggling to impose himself on games. So I just feel he doesn't fit any of the profiles that um, Liverpool um, try try and play with in midfield. Well, I, I think you you've hit on something which is which is correct in the sense of. I think Jurgen Klopp wants as many types of profile as possible, some more than others. So like you said, the shuttlers, he probably wants more shuttlers because it takes more work. But I think, I think where my accusation is more for Klopp than Thiago is that you are not setting up in a tactical way that is bringing out the most of Thiago. I, th I think 
the whole point of, oh, well, Fabinho or Henderson aren't available. Let Thiago do it. And, and ultimately, football is way too detailed and players' skills are way too defined in what they're good or bad at for, for you to be lazy enough to just do that. And, and it's fair enough if Jurgen Klopp was getting this wrong within two or three games. But Thiago started seven games and he came on as a sub um, in the last game. So surely you've had long enough now to know when Thiago should fit in or Thiago shouldn't. I mean, Naby Kate is a great example here because, I mean, ultimately his injury record's terrible, but even when he was fit and Liverpool were flying last season, he didn't play every game. And that shows a manager who isn't tied back by the pressure of financial, you know, financial investment. It's a manager who knows when certain players and certain job profiles fit the task required whereas Thiago feels like and maybe it's the injuries and there's no choice because Fabinho and Henderson aren't playing in midfield but he seems seems to throw Thiago in to ask him to do whatever the job is even when he's not capable of doing it and there's no harm in a player not being able to do it so I, I wouldn't sign Luka Modric to come and press but it's how, it feels like if Jurgen Klopp was to sign Xavi at the moment he'd ask him to come and do exactly what Genie Wijnaldum's been doing so <laughs> there, there's a lot of introspection that needs to happen in the club because people sympathise with injuries even outside the club but have Liverpool done as much as possible to minimise the effect? No they haven't they've, they've blown it out of proportion even more than the problem should have been it could have been a five point gap but now it's 10 it could be 15 and that's fully on the club yeah, with Klopp, it's, um, it's interesting. Like, I think at the top level, I would expect him to have some sort of plan B, which I haven't seen from him um, thus far this season. And he seems to be hell-bent on this 4-3-3 formation with obviously the two shuttlers, of you, as you've mentioned. But clearly, Thiago's played um, for a number of years with another defensive mid beside him at Bayern. So even though... He's um he's been in a pressing team. He's obviously had to cover less space. He's obviously had someone by his side who's who's pressing alongside him. I just think at this point in the season, I know he has his methods and he has his ways, but he should be looking at getting the team playing in a different way because currently this is not working. And when you're in a rut, I know sometimes you want to stick to your guns, but you've got to look at a plan B, a plan C, because they've been yeah, but- playing the same way for about three, four years. They say, mad, they say madness. Yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, they say madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And I think that's what you're trying to touch yeah. on as well. I know you want to make some comments on on Klopp, but you may as well add in um, some more comments on what I'm about to touch on because I was looking at the um, odds for the next manager to go, and Jurgen Klopp was right at the top last night. There was certain rumors saying that um, apparently he's agreed to leave Liverpool and he's going to take a, a sabbatical from football. Some of these unconfirmed tweets flying around on Twitter as well. So can you address that and also add in the point that you wanted to make as well? I love you saying, can you address that? Like he's the Liverpool spokesman. Yeah. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like it right now. Um, yeah, I mean, look, for, on, a, on an emotional level, for where Jurgen Klopp lifted Liverpool from to the status they are now, th- there's no way I'd want him to go. And I think a lot of it ties in with obviously rest in peace to his mother who passed away um, last week. So that's obviously affected his probably his ability to stay focused. I think a bigger thing which is happening and um, it's probably how the club and Klopp aren't aligned at the moment in terms of what Klopp wants. Because, I mean, Steve mentioned a great point about presenting a plan B. But boys, you, you can't create a plan when that plan B might have to be Divock Origi or Jerdan Shakiri coming because 
these players are so far off even plan A going badly with Mane, Salah and Firmino. That was what was most frustrating because Klopp probably wants to have variations on how he wants to play. But even though Roberto Firmino, I thought was shocking after creating Salah's goal. I don't think he was playing well until he created that goal. But there was nothing to change it up with. So ultimately, you can complain about plan A not working. But if plan B makes you even worse than a badly working plan A, then I think Klopp's just a bit resigned to the club being too, too protective in terms of thinking you can work without risk I've got, I've and, and Klopp wants risk. This. Yeah, sorry, go on. I've got a quick question on this. I don't know who said um, the plan B stuff, but I think the plan B stuff is not necessarily who is on the bench. It's the way you generally set up to facilitate Thiago playing better. So at the moment, Klopp is very hell-bent on the, his, his style of play. And um, he was like this at Dortmund as well. Um, granted, he has slightly adapted the way he plays at Liverpool. They don't play the same like his Dortmund team. And I generally think he is a manager that changes based on the players he has available. Um, obviously, he has very, very um, strong ideals of how to play football. But um, I'm not sure he's prepared to move away from the system that um, has worked for the last two, three years to accommodate one player. Even though this player is very good, which is Thiago, um, I think Thiago has to, um, to some degree, change his game a little bit. Or if he plays as a shuttler, you have to just do more. I think... I think we very often talk about managers need to do more, and I'm, I'm a big advocate of managers needing to do more. Um, but in that game against Leicester, that midfield position was fine, I think. The, the front three was fine. They need to produce. Those, those are the, the, the people that, that they get, they have a reputation. Like, do you know what I mean? They're, they're saying this is one of the best front threes in the world. Like, these men just need to produce. And um, more, time, more time they do, to be honest. It's not like a slight on them, but that man were playing, it's not like he was playing... Shakiri and Origi in that front three, you know. So that's, yeah, that's I, one, one I, of the things I think the midfield maybe needs a different proposition of the way you set up, but that would affect the way Trent and Robertson play. And all realistically, one of the big, best things about Liverpool is Trent and Robertson, them, um, them, them, them increasing speed of play. So at the moment, at the moment, there's a, there's some discrepancies, but I think. Even Thiago playing as an eight, you should be fine going forward. That game, that that can happen in football. You just you're just not invincible anymore. That's what it is for me. Yeah, I think I think just one final thing on on that. I feel like um... Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more with a Credit Karma Money Spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card, and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot, and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC-insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. I feel like Liverpool's probably one of the teams that I don't think they particularly needed a plan B because I felt like their plan A 
actually had so many weapons. Like in the last two seasons, everyone's talking about, well, you can try to shut down the fullbacks. And if you shut down the fullbacks, then they'll get you through the middle with Firmino and Mane Salah um, coming in there. So, you know, I remember so many teams not being able to shut them down because they had so many weapons. And I feel like the major issue this season is that, you know, guys like Mane, Firmino, um, Salah uh, at times, um, they've not been they've not been at their best. Like Mane has been in terrible form for a long, long time. And you said he played really well yesterday, but, you know, in playing really well, the output that you guys have been reliant on for so long was missing. So it's it's all well and fine saying, you know, oh yeah, they need a plan B. But what they really need is these men to actually just find their shooting boots and put the ball in the net when they get their chances. Because at the moment, you know, I feel like you're still creating these chances, but, you know, Mane is 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 he, he can't shoot. Salah is taking him five chances, um, which when before it might have taken him three. Do you know what I mean? So I, feel I mean, like... look, Dan, Dan. Ultimately, everyone, every Liverpool fan or a lot of Liverpool fans are hiding behind the centre back issue, and I think the issues are so much bigger than that. And and it's time to look past that because Jurgen Klopp has had long enough since Van Dijk, Matip, and Gomez got injured to to work out a better way. So yeah, I, that's what I want to see moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think we can move on from Liverpool there. Just honourable mention as well for Harvey Barnes, eight, two goals off 10 for the season. James Madison, really in good form as well. So them two English talents uh, kicking unexpectedly for Leicester. Uh, let's actually go, <clears throat> let's go actually to, to Manchester now. Um, I'm not really going to do the talking because I can talk for days on this on this topic. But of course, you all know my beloved Spurs. We went to, to the city of Etihad. For those who have you watched... You got pumped. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. Man said he's, he's, he's beloved Spurs, you know. Beloved. Man, relax, relax. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. For those, who, for, those, for those who have watched Man City Spurs games in the past, maybe not so much this season, but especially last season, you would have known that this battering was was a long time coming. Like We've been due a, a serious beatdown from, from Man City. And um, I think the neutrals got their wish yesterday as well, albeit... We're not, we're not neutral, bro. We're not neutral, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the, the ops got their wish then. <laughs> you know I'm, what? I um, I hey, actually are wanted... Me, are you going to let me finish or do you not just want to keep interrupting me? Or... You just said this part, you're not going to do much talking. Yeah, and look at you. I'm going to ask at you. a question. I'm going to ask a question, bro. You didn't All even... Right. Go on. I was going to say, like, we surrendered the game under Spursy circumstances and I was actually going to come to... um. Um, Coogs next to, to speak about one player in particular, Hussan. So please, can you mute your mic, Steve, and let me go, move on to... to okay, talk. muting. Okay, cool. Thank you. But uh, I want to speak next. <laughs> <laughs> before, before we get onto the Spurs disaster class as well, one man in particular, Ilkay Gundogan, where has this come from? I need you to explain to me where this has come from, because we're looking at a potential PFA contender right now. I know German Dan is there grinning in the background as well, but yeah, go on. <laughs> To be honest, it's not. It's it shouldn't be that surprising though, right? Like I, I, I'm not going to lie and say I'm not surprised because I thought the Gundogan from uh, Dortmund days, I thought he'd he'd gone personally. Um, but this is almost a revival of that Gundogan that we saw under Klopp, and I think under Klopp he had that license to sort of join the attack, burst into the box, um, like some of the midfielders of old. We've seen Frank Lampard do it to to great effect. Yaya Toure has done it to great effect for Man City, um, especially in the past. And I feel like he's that he's always been that type of midfielder. And in previous years, 
I think with the with the sort of formation that they played and the style of uh, play that Peppers has has uh, implemented at City very much on a positional um, sense, people stay in their zones, um, this, that and the other. He's not necessarily had that licence to really go forward. But I think when you're seeing now with the injuries to Aguero and Jesus, Pep's had to sort of revamp it and revamp his midfield because I think they were getting... Um, done heavily on the counter so he Pep's now gone with this you know sort of double pivot um in midfield and that gives I think more them a more solid base and it allows another midfielder to sort of go in and join that attack where previously they wouldn't necessarily do that and if you want a midfielder to do that as I said Gundogan's almost one of the perfect midfielders you know and, and one of the best midfielders I think in world football in terms of arriving in the box and having the quality to finish um to finish chances so you know this this I think is a it's a quality remontada that we're seeing from uh, from this guy because he I think he's been very very unfortunate with his injuries when he was uh, in Germany he was one of my favorite midfielders to watch and uh, yeah so it's a very pleasant surprise man to see him come into this um, into this good form and he he done my fantasy team um, no no problems either uh, cap- captained him against Spurs. Thank you for that useless piece of information, Dan. German <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I, before I before I go on to Stevie about this about Spurs, just more on Ilkay. I know Dan mentioned that like he's a talented midfielder. We know that, but I mean, there were clear signs that Ilkay Gundogan just wasn't having as much of an Im- an impact on Man City's midfield as he was capable of doing prior to this season, in, especially in high profile matches as well. And I mean, you just have to look at his goal return this season: eleven goals in 18 Premier League appearances, 13 goals in 26 appearances. This is very much an outlier in his um, in his goal-scoring exploits as well. Do, do you think that's more uh, of credit towards Pep or do you reckon that's a consequence of, like Dan said, him playing higher up and him, him being part of a Man City system that by design are just due to score more goals? Of course, they've slightly altered their, 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 their makeup this season and the way they play, but you expect Man City goal glut usually. What's your take? You know what? In football, sometimes it's, it's, things are funny. Like, Gundogan has been a, um, a top player for me for many, many years. And um, top players can also go through rough patches or um, periods where you think, actually, this guy's not that good. Um, I didn't really have a fitness with Gundogan. But um, what we see now is um, the very, very good midfielders um, in the last, even the generations before, they always have slightly adopted their game later on in their career. The way Gundogan has adopted this game is very funny because usually these midfielders score in the early parts of their career and then go back to um, a position of just controlling the game, running the tempo and stuff. Gundogan really started doing the tempo stuff early on in his career and then has been moving up the pitch. And um, and now I think probably his, his best goal scoring return um, in, any, in any season he's ever played. And as, um, as Dan said, at Dortmund, he, he showed glimpses of this. But he was very, like, the focus was still the tempo setting. Whereas at City now, he can float, he can roam. Um, other people are setting the tempo. City is a team that if you, if you, if you, if you have a certain amount of skills and you can, you can really express them, you can really, um, like, you can, you can take over football games with them, they allow you to. So they're, they're a team that they're, they're allow you to be yourself in a way at times. So I think um, at this moment in time, of course, Pep has done something here. Um with um with Aguero not being there, but I think this is a team where he's just he's enjoying good football, and um he's playing the way he probably would have liked to play at Dortmund, but they weren't good enough for him to play like that, so he played a di- slightly different role. Um, I'm just glad to see him doing well, and um yeah, David Silva, we're coming for you. 
Can I just um? Can I just touch I was on? Come to you next. On... Yeah, but I I wanted to touch on City actually even before before we get to Spurs um because I think Pep deserves a lot of credit because obviously I think I can't remember when it was but when Spurs were top um City were sitting down in like eighth or ninth and I think since then they've won like 15 on the trot and I think in part it's where he's been playing Cancelo and um, Zinchenko which has allowed him to shift like the dynamic of the side because you see a lot of um, with a lot of Cancelo's positioning like he's tucked inside into the midfield alongside Rodri so it's allowing Gundogan and the rest of the other team to get forward and you almost have like the team set in two so you've got like um, Rodri and Cancelo um, the two centre-backs and Zinchenko occasionally um, staying back and then it's allowed the rest of the other team to go ahead and press forward. Um, I just think it's really clever play from um, Guardiola and Cancelo was having like a massive impact on that team, not just um, from the right side, but just in the balance that they've now got between um, attack and defence. And even Zinchenko deserves um, a shout as well. So you've got like two fullbacks almost playing as defensive midfielders and and it's brought them a lot of protection. Well, yeah, uh, Zinchenko is actually a midfielder, but I mean, obviously he's doing a yeah. job at left back now. He started, what, like the last five, six games straight, um, mm-hmm. doing really well for them. But Mush, I actually wanted to come to you on this before we actually move on, Spurs. One of my biggest worries heading into this game uh, with regards to why I was so sure we were going to lose is because our biggest strength under Jose Mourinho, which is our ability in transition, is something which... City used to have as a weakness and I feel like in recent weeks have completely snuffed snuffed that out as a weakness and I think you saw it in evidence um, in the in the game on, on Saturday as well Cancelo making sure he was tracking Son literally at every given moment on the left hand side Zinchenko doing his duties as well they didn't really give us an opportunity to, to, to break at them um, with the same um, with the same um, impacts that we have done in, in previous games so do you feel like that's another testament to to, to Pep's um, ever evolving mentality team? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna flow into Spurs, man. Because I need to talk about this this Portuguese guy managing you because I think I tweeted yesterday that this whole everyone defend and Son and Kane might make something happen tactic is the worst tactic in the Premier League. Like, I was just looking now whilst everyone was talking. So Hungman Son has one goal and one assist in the last seven games. And I could have run that as agenda, but I've been watching these games and he's so easy to crowd out. That thing you're talking about transition, right? That transition only happens in one or two ways. Either you catch a team early, but I don't think City allow that because they play quite deep, or you outnumber them in a position to give talented players a chance. And when I look at Son and Kane, they've got three men around them each. I don't see how someone like Son is meant to affect the game, regardless of who Spurs are playing against. I don't think it takes Cancelo to to negate Son at the moment. And I don't think it takes any special player. All it takes is for any kind of competent manager to realise that if we hold our shape at the back, we will catch Spurs in transition, which is what happened for the long ball for Edison's goal as well. So it's just, it's, it's so rubbish as a tactic. I can't believe when I'm watching Spurs, like I watched Ben Davis, right? getting ripped to shreds. So I just thought, if I'm a fullback and my, the guy I'm playing against is ripping me, why don't I move higher up the pitch to make him turn back the other way and actually stop driving at me? But it just feels like 
Jose's instilled this mentality that people were trying to hype early on in the season, but it's actually created so much trauma about wanting to attack and create problems for the opposition. So yeah, man, it, it it's it's created a lot. And I don't know, you as a Spurs fan, you probably feel that more than anyone. Yeah, I mean, my views on Jose, I think they're pretty much laid out bare on my Twitter, on my YouTube. Um, we all know what, what I think of him. He's a man who cares more about not losing than actually trying to, to, to impact the game in our favour. But I actually, it's a weird one. He is a problem. He's a guy that definitely needs to be replaced, but I can't look at our recent form. I mean, our, our, our recent games in the previous week against Everton in the FA Cup and Man City as a as a Jose issue. I, I, I look at that mainly as a personnel issue. And I think that's that leads me on to my next point. Um, and I'm coming to you on this, Steve, as well. I know you were, you were speaking about Pep, but I think much was made about our squad at the start of the season, the good business we did in the summer, etc. And whilst some players generally haven't lived up to the billing, i.e. Gareth Bell, Matt Doherty, um, there are quite a lot of players in this team that consistently have a habit of making errors. Um, I know Man City were always going to win that game yesterday, but the manner in which we conceded uh, the first goal, a lazy but unfortunate um, coming together with Hoybier and Gundogan, um, Seems like he's tired out on his feet. I haven't played literally every minute this season. I mean, the second goal, Raheem Sterling walks him through the box. Hugo Lloris, um, sticky, uh, <laughs> slippy fingers, whatever you want to call it, letting that ball go through the net. Um, and even the penalty that he should have saved. And then the third goal, like Mush said, literally one ball over the top front for Medicine. And Gundogan had... Davison Sanchez on skates, literally slipping and falling in his best Jerome Boateng impression. So, I yeah. respect Jerome Boateng, man, because Davison Sanchez is still as well. <laughs> <laughs> German Dan has a thing. Whenever you mention a German player, his, his eyes literally light up and he's, he's just like, yo, I need to defend my if, guy. If, if he's German from a minority background, yes, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve, I feel like, as a Spurs fan, I feel like this, this myth that we have a really strong squad it's a myth. It's a facade. But I want to I want to hear your take on this team now because as bad as Jose Mourinho is, we're seeing the same individual errors week in, week out. We're seeing the same inconsistencies week in, week out. What's your view on this? Yeah, so um, similar to Mush, I can't start a Tottenham argument without digging my heels in against Jose. So let me just get <laughs> at him one more time. <laughs> um, like he's, he's not helping himself with, with his tactics. And I think um, this this deep block football is is so last decade, man. It's it's like it needs to move on with the times, and it's getting harder and harder to keep clean sheets in football. Um, but I hear that, Steve. One sec, but like just as a counter argument, how should he play against Man City? Though? No, against Man City, like you were always going to get beaten. I mean, it didn't matter how you lined up, you were always going to get beaten. But I think um, yeah, Jose's not helping himself but neither are the players I was looking at the game yesterday and I saw the mistakes and I was like I've seen this so many times at Spurs this season I need to actually go and watch Spurs highlights this this um this week and, and check out um the mistakes you lot have been making yeah against Palace Lloris has made an error against Leicester it was Aurier against Liverpool Lloris I think for the first goal, possibly the second. Against Chelsea, Dyer's made an error for the penalty. Against Everton, Lloris has made another um, error. And against City is Hoiberg um, and Lloris. And it's like, 
you can set up your team to play well and to try and minimize um, the damage that you're going to take um, going defensively, but you cannot legislate for errors in every single game. And I know Mourinho's not helping Spurs, but come on, like the players need to help themselves and take some accountability. Like you cannot be expected to challenge if week in, week out, you're making the same comedic errors. And it just shows like the level of players um, at this club, they're not, they're not good enough. The centre-backs need to be replaced. Um, at right back, Aurier needs to be replaced. Um, and just going forward creatively, you lot haven't got any ideas, um, but defensively, I think is almost a big problem as the lack of ideas going forward. And um, yeah, I know you must have seen it um, almost every game this season and it's just ridiculous now. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, German Dan, I feel like you has you have something to say on our errors as well. You're chomping at the bit. <laughs> yeah, because the errors thing, yeah, for me, I look at this like the style of football that Mourinho plays with the players he has at his disposal, it leads to errors because this is he's playing with players who are not used to playing the style of play. Like if you look at Simeone, yeah, he has a bunch of players that love to defend, yeah, and they play the style of football that works well for him. Um, Italians. And traditionally do it as well. Bunch of players that love to defend, trained in the art of defending. Mourinho has a very different squad to that. And he's playing this style of football where your players don't get the ball much. You're just defending, concentrating, shifting over. That's all you're doing the whole time. And then I kind of think that the errors are um, partially his fault because of the way they're playing. Or he's setting them up. These players are not used to playing this way. They don't enjoy playing football this way. And they're a byproduct of the way he sets up. And at some points this season, it has worked well for him. It's been going okay. But um, Dyer has always been a slightly error-prone player anyway. Um, Davison Santos slightly error-prone player anyway. And then you play these players in a system that requires high concentration, high composure. This is this is this is a bad this is a bad Tinder match. Like it's just it just is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I've got I've got to say just to counteract that. These are defenders making these errors. Like, they're defenders making these errors in defensive areas of the pitch. Like, you cannot legislate for Lloris's errors, and he's made more than a few this season. Hoiberg's challenges, like, every time I've seen them, they've looked clumsy. No, Dyer, no, no, as you... Stop, stop, stop. Let's, let's not do that on Hoiberg. Yeah, let's, talk, let's talk about no, Hoiberg, though. No, no, no. Two, no, no, no. two pens in a row. Two um, pens in a row. No, no, let's, let's talk no, no, no. about, let's talk about is, Hoiberg. The, the, no, the then, thing is, just, just, just on that, I, I think you can legislate for these errors, though, because, as Dan said, like, it's not a surprise that Aurier... Uh, Dyer or Davis and Sanchez are the ones making making these errors, or it's Ben Davies, you know, who's getting skinned. Like these players have shown you who they who they are for a number of years, and I think it it points to a, a wider issue around Spurs at, at, um, and to do with Enik and Dan, Daniel Levy is that Spurs have attempted to sort of you know um, shortcut their way you know, back to, to, to where they were under Pochettino without wanting to do the, the work that's required. Because under Pochettino, he was telling the, the board, um, we need to refresh the squad, we need to refresh the squad. And actually, that Champions League run probably papered over the cracks 
for what was required because the summer before they didn't buy anyone and they didn't refresh the squad where, and that was probably the best time to do it before you had all of these players going into you know out of road going into his final year of contract Vertonghen going into his final year of contract you, there was a market for some of these players Lucas Moura Eric Lamella these players Eric Dyer you know could have been sold for 50 million pounds you know what I mean all of these guys could have been moved on you could have had money to reinvest in the squad they decided to keep them and now this is where you end up you end up with players who have stayed well past their sell by date Right, and this is and this is what you get. So even when you do add pieces like Endombele, um, Lacelso, uh, Hoiberg, who I think has actually been quite good this season, it's not enough to lift them. And also on top of that, Jose Mourinho is is not a modern coach in the slightest. Yeah, like you've mentioned, uh, the likes of Simeone, um, even someone like Sean Dyche, I think is actually better tactically aware of modern coaching methods, if that makes sense. Because if you look at the way Tottenham set up, yes, there's 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 a deep block, but there's no concerted way of them trying to win the ball. There's no there's no there's no element of any sort of cogent press that's organized by Spurs. If you can tell me a performance this season where they've had any sort of mid press or high press effectively Right, I'll, I'll be very surprised because and 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 the same for uh, when Jose was at Manchester United, right? They couldn't press, and if even if you look at te- uh, like an Atletico Madrid side or a Burnley team, they can all they can uh, execute a very organised press, whether that's a high press or or, or, a, or a press in the middle of the park mid press, right? They can do that to good effect, and I feel like Jose Mourinho because he's not able to do this, you're gonna just get waves and waves and waves of pressure like he did when he was at United and like you're seeing under Spurs. And for me, as Dan said, with the types of players that you have, Aurier, Dyer. Um, a past it Alderweireld, a past it Ben Davies, a head loss uh, Davinson Sanchez, a rookie in Joe Roden who's never played at this level before, um, an error prone keeper in Hugo Lloris. You're just putting them under undue pressure, and this is what you this is what you get. This is literally what you get. Um, well said. <clears throat> the thing is, I don't want to really go in on Mourinho too much because I feel like you you can't legislate for these errors. I, I know that I know, but the system doesn't help. And I think that's been my gripe pretty much from the day he joined the club. That's been my gripe before he even joined and he was linked that we don't have the players to play the way he wants us to play. And it constantly results in us having to do the one thing that we are the weakest at, which is defend. 87% of our goals this season have been conceded due to individual errors or set pieces, which tells you that we don't have many people in this squad that are good at defending. But for me, I feel like that almost lets the players get off too easily. These players are professionals, they're paid professionals, and they are doing a shocking job. I said it on the Discord today that I can name at least nine, 10 players that are not good enough to play for this club. That's almost half our squad. That's almost half our squad that are legitimately not good enough to play for this squad, which tells you everything you need to know about the job that Jose Mourinho has to do, as poor as he is, in terms of trying to get this team to top four. It's a, it's a, it's, it's the worst marriage possible. It's the worst marriage possible. A bad squad and a declining manager. In fact, a declining squad and a declining manager. It's the worst marriage possible. But I think that's enough on Spurs now. We know, we know where we are. I was gonna say it sounds pretty perfect to me. I can't lie, bro. But <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, we're actually gonna, we're, if we're gonna, I'm gonna leave some time towards the end to actually talk about the the top four battle broadly as well. But. Um, so talk about let's let's move on to a team but that by all accounts are not going to challenge for the top four this season. Arsenal. 
So, <laughs> so I'm coming to you on this, German Dan. Obviously, Arsenal um, four-two win today um, against Leeds. Um, Aubameyang's first hat trick in English football. Pretty shocked that it's taken him what four? Well, when did he join? He joined in 2018. So this is what like three? Oh, just over. Doing three. too much mess. Doing too much mess. Don't no, no, no. Me. Three, <laughs> oh, Don't hurt yourself, three bro. years in English football, and uh, an elite striker like him has not scored a hat trick yet. I'm glad you said elite, so you know you know where I'm going. <laughs> Weird. Um, but yeah, what were your thoughts on, on that game and particularly the front four that you started with? Yeah, um, I said to, to Nigerian Dan even before the game in the group chat, I was, um, I was happy with um, the front four that he picked today. Um, I think that's probably um, from the players available that we have, definitely the best front four. Um, on the on the Discord, Mariah was making jokes um, about, um, yeah, you might not, you might have been starving for your technical players to come, or I have technical players starting. And um, it was good to see we have ESR, Saka, Udegaard, all players that can take the ball under pressure. They like the ball um, when, when with a man on. And um, generally, I was I was just glad to see them all start. And then also, Aubameyang starting as a striker, I was um, I was slightly concerned, hoping that he wouldn't do it, but I was thinking he might start like a Z up top again. Um, Aubameyang is just a different, complete different proposition, man, and he's a different type of threat. And if you're surrounded with technical quality, this is what he did today. This is basically what he's capable of. Um, so um, this, the, what we've seen this season from him has not been great, um, but I wouldn't really blame him from that. I thought that um, the way we were set up, the way we were playing for a large majority of this of the season was just shocking. Um, not getting into good positions, none of our attackers getting into good positions, getting the ball. In good positions, the ball doesn't come when you make a run, and um, that—that's what it used to be really like for for the last few months. But um, with with um, them three players starting, ESR, Saka, Udegaard, they they facilitate a different type of football. Um, I think Jaka was okay today as well. Sabias was um, made a good appearance today, so um, yeah, I think it was good today. The first half, particular, I, I liked it. Um, second half, I think we tailed off a little bit. We lost a bit of control of the game. But um, Jenny, this was a um, good performance from us overall, given the fact also that we lost two on, I think, two on a bounce before this, right, Dan? So it was one of the ones was like, we have to win today. I was, um, we are, we're spiraling into a, a dangerous territory again. So a good win from the team. Happy Aubameyang got a hat trick. And when you talk about Saka, talk about him nicely, please. So that's, that's <laughs> You know what, Dan, before I move on to you, I want to I wanna uh, speak to Mush because we, we haven't heard from him since his Liverpool breakdown. <laughs> Mush. I'm still recovering from that. Yeah, go Leslie, on. Yeah, uh, he was po- uh, many, many different different opinions in the Discord today. It seems like he was doing his best Hugh Lloris impression this game. Um, what did you make of his performance and what do you make of Leeds as a whole? Because... Leeds are a funny team, isn't it? They're, they're always going to make the... No matter how bad you are, they're always going to make a contest of that game. Yeah, I, th- I think Melier just... He played... He embodied what Leeds United are. You know what I mean? Sometimes there's good moments. Sometimes there's absolute madness. And ultimately, he, he fits the profile of the club he pays for. But I, th- I think he is a talented keeper. And maybe with a, with a bit more coaching, he's going to have a good career ahead of him. But what you asked about Leeds, man, I, I think... I think Leeds are the best addition to the Premier League we could possibly have. And the reason I'm saying that is because when the Gary Megsons and all of these crap managers who come up into this league, yeah, come and lose 7-0 away from home or, you know, Phil Brown will set up with his, you know, rubbish midfield that gets pumped. Why not get pumped trying to play football yourself? Leeds are no worse than any team that has been promoted. 
in terms of defensively. They might concede more goals, but overall, I don't think the players are worse. And going forward and watching them, they are so much better. So I feel like there's this <laughs> inner like desire for us football fans in this country to have peace of mind and watch a match of the day and for them to use that same graphic of four defenders in a line and call that organisation. Forget organisation. It doesn't work. I've seen the Paul Jules, the bloody, you know, there's so many. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There's so many crap managers that come, don't play football, get relegated or just lose. Why not come, enjoy yourselves and play? Because one thing I rate about Leeds was that, mate, they were 4-0 down and they were flying forward. It wasn't like, you know, they got disheartened and they opened up and Arsenal scored some consolation goals. And why not, man? Football's an entertainment sport. And, and I get that so much from Leeds. And I think they're going to win a lot of, they should anyway, win a lot of neutral fans for how they've decided to be else's approach this season anyway. Mm, fair enough. Dan, uh, Dan Coods, I'm coming to you next. Uh, Arsenal, two points behind us, Spurs, with an extra game played. Um, slowly but surely getting closer to the to the chasing pack for, for top four, um, if you still think that some of these teams are challenging for top four, that is. What are the expectations on Arsenal from now up, uh, until the end of the season then? Um, for me, um, I think we should still try and be pushing for that top six place. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult one because... Uh, I don't know if you lot are aware, but that sort of third tier of European competition starts next season. And given the finalists are Man City and Spurs, um, it's likely that that's going to go to the, the team that finishes in seventh place. And so if you are pushing uh, for six, you come seventh, you're going to be in that, you know, intertoto competition that I think yeah. no one really... Oh, what is yeah, that going to be called? You, you, you wait for conference? The hood. It's going to be called the hood. In the mud, yeah, it's called it? the mud. It's called yeah. gutter. You the gutter. For, you wait for conference league, yeah. What yeah, channel is that going to be on? That's going to be... Bro, it's going to be on BT Sport slash ESPN, you know that one, yeah. Euros red button. So Dave, <laughs> that's a Dave Dave yeah, plus one BT, production. That's though. not good enough for BT. That's going to be a Euro said sport. Euro sport. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think that's a, that's a competition that no one um, no one really wants to be in, right? So it's it's, it's definitely um, a fine balancing act. I feel like if you don't if you don't think that you can get that sixth position, I think I would actually rather see us tank the league um, and finish outside of the European spot altogether. But in looking at the table. Um, and looking at our fixtures, we are playing a lot of the teams that are above us. You know, um, we still have to play Everton, still have to play West Ham, um, still have to play uh, Spurs and Leicester and all of these teams. So I feel like, you know, even though, yes, it's a lot of teams ahead of us in the table, um, if we do sort of win against our, I guess, direct rivals, um, there's a lot of six pointers in there and there's a lot of... Uh, there's a, there's a lot of climbing that can be done. Um, I think this season we've shown that we don't really have that consistency to pull a run of games together. But, you know, some momentum, momentum between now and May, um, it would, would be quite timely because I feel like some of the points we've dropped this season, we've dropped them to poor sides playing against us, man. I feel like uh, we look at the games against Southampton, where are they in the table? You know, uh, 12th, 13th, they've lost six against six in a row, right? Which I think is more... Um, 
uh, is a better example of their their actual level given their squad quality. You look at the games against Wolves; they've beaten us home and away this season. I think they've been a very poor side um, this season. I think that some of our performances um, have not necessarily reflected uh, the results, uh, and that's this is in 2021, not 2020. Um, so I feel like you know we are playing better than we were um, towards the the. the October to, to December period and I feel like if we carry on playing in the way that we have been some of these points against the likes of your Everton's, your Leicester's, your West Ham's um, can be and, and Spurs especially the way that Spurs are playing at the moment they can be picked up I'm not going to say oh yeah I think it's very likely we're going to finish in the top six but I don't think um, it's, it's something that we can write off uh, at this current point in time mm. Optimistic as ever <laughs> optimistic optimistic as ever but um yeah we'll, we'll see we'll see and as i said that broader chat around the top four uh, is coming but i feel like we have to mention of course the most resulting uh i mean the most surprising result of the week well, well one sec tobes tobes before we do that i just want to shout out because i don't support arsenal but i really like him shout out bukayo saka for oh. how he played today he like was that. absolutely fantastic you like, don't have to do this that's right that's yeah. right Listen, God's child, God's child is is I'm I'm on board, man. I think he's <laughs> he's growing into a player that I, you can put him in any profile. He he is equally competent. Football manager, he's gonna have about 15 slashes next to his name for the different positions <laughs> he can play. <laughs> so yeah, fantastic prospect, and and yeah, more power to him because he looks like a good kid as well, man. Yeah, I was good, Odegaard good, today, by the way. Good kid from a good home. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, was Odegaard was good. Odegaard was good. Yeah, um, I know you wanted to, to, to. I know you didn't mean that uh, sincerely, Steve. You wanted no, to. No, genu- genuinely. <laughs> I saw that smart, I, saw that I know smart. how you work. I know you wanted to dump on him. He just put it out there. He just put it out there. See what he can get. For those who don't know, um, years ago when Madrid signed Odegaard, um, Steve looked, took one look at this guy <laughs> and called him shit with no, with <laughs> no rationale behind it apart from, yeah, Madrid have paid too much for a 16-year-old and he's on the a week or something. <laughs> but Steve, I'm coming to you next, man, because the most surprising result of the weekend, it has to be said, Man United dropping points to West Brom. 21. 21. Yeah. 21. Too much, you lot listening to way too much 21 Savage over there, man. It's, it's, let's hear your cypher. Let's hear your cypher, Steve. Come on, man. <laughs> it's like you've won, you've gone from title challenges to kaputs in the space of in the space of three, four weeks, man. Um, and yeah. I have to say it was a missed opportunity for, for Allardyce to get three points, not so much money. <laughs> yeah. I'm energized. It's a fact. The chances um, that West Brom had down bad, huh? <laughs> Steve, tell us, man. What on, What happened? You know what? It's it's crazy. Like anyone who actually thought we were genuine title contenders, including me. What you. fools we were! <laughs> what fools we were! This United team, man. We know. We know exactly what they are, and our deficiencies are so so clear. Um, against Sheffield United we didn't pick up the three points. And against this West Brom team, we haven't picked up the three points. They are two terrible sides. Like, West Brom, I think they're 13 points away from safety. How can you not be picking up three points against them? Um, But I think today, um, in terms of analysing the actual game, um, it was just just typical United. 
any game in which we drop points, you sort of seem to see the same patterns reoccurring. Defensive error early in the game. And this time it was Lindelof. And a lot of people have been claiming Lindelof's a really good defender this season. And by and large, Lindelof, 75% of the time, will play well. But when he gets exposed, he gets exposed. And just physically, he's not at the races and he always gets caught out in the Premier League. Either that be in the air or get turned by pace or just strength. Um, he's just physically not at it. And you see errors from him time and time again. And that's why I think Bailly needs to be playing on a more regular basis. I don't know why he's not our starting centre-back, but he's got he's his always own injury injured. troubles. Yeah, he's got his own injury troubles. Um, Maguire, again, you saw at various points during the game, just silly, silly errors from him. Um, and, and letting this Diagne, this Diagne guy score, it's, it's a disgrace. He's <laughs> like a money. He's like a money. He's like, <laughs> like a poor man's money. Um, so yeah, I think one of the, um, one of the mistakes Ole made today was in the starting lineup. And I think those two big mistakes he made, uh, one, I know Van der Beek hasn't played very well this season and he hasn't imposed himself in the games he has played, but we need to give him a run at some point. And now Pogba's injured against the league's second bottom side, against the side that, to me, they're not very technically proficient. I think this would have been the perfect game in which we could afford to play Van der Beek in the Premier League. Like, how how bad can your 40 million sign-in be that he can't play one game against West Brom? I thought he should have started him um, from, the, from the top because it would have allowed us, um, I guess, more of a passing range than we get from... Um, McFred. Um, and then I also thought another one of the errors he made was in starting Anthony Marshall. And I'm so done with this guy, yeah. Up front, <laughs> but from but from left wing, no, not in 2021, not <laughs> even in 2020. No, just drop him. Just drop him. Because what happens when we force Marshall into the team, and at this point when he's not giving us anything, is that his body language is all wrong, he's not impactful from the left, and then even bigger impact is it forces um, Rashford to play from the right, which he's basically ineffective from. And Greenwood has been probably coming off his best patch of form this season. I know he hasn't been scoring many goals, but he's been playing well. He's been influencing the game more. And it meant we had to play Rashford on the right and Rashford didn't have a great game. Play Martial on the left and shot Martial didn't have a great game. And then it just culminated in what tends to happen in a lot of our games where we're just reliant and dependent on brilliance from our individual players. And you saw it from Bruno again, but how many times can we continue to rely on this guy? And in the end, I thought we played better than West Brom um, overall, but I can't really say we created that many clean-cut chances that we deserved the win. And uh, yeah, shock horror, like you said, Toby, we could have lost the game at the end. Yeah, yeah, you could have. I wanted to touch on your attack as well, so I was actually going to move on to um, to, the, to German Dan on this as well. Cavani dodgy game. Um, Rashford, I know you said that it was a consequence of him playing on the right, but let's be let's be fair. He's not really played well the last couple of games. I think it's yeah, what like that's... one goal in his last ten games. He's been Martial, yeah, he's been below the level required, man. Yeah, Martial obviously ever since he scored those cheap those two cheap goals against. Nine men, Southampton. Those shameless goals. <laughs> shameless. <laughs> but like, he, he literally came on and tried to scumbag himself a hat trick. So, so, <laughs> so that's so, why he didn't celebrate them goals. He was too embarrassed. Man. Yeah. So, so German Dan, um, 
what challenges do you think are, 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 are we only going to solve now? Because Paul Pogba's injured, and that by by all accounts, he was he was their best player over the last two month stretch. These players dropping out of form. Bruno Fernandez, Fanos Fernandez, he scored today, but you know his type of game. Like, <laughs> I would not have he... any Fernandez slander. But he played crap today. He scored, but and he, he scored a worldie. Yeah, he did, but um. Yeah, uh, but nothing. The thing, the thing is with um Bruno's, yeah, Bruno will got, get a goal or an, or an assist, but I think the way he genuinely in, interpretates football or plays football has a very bad effect on the team he plays for. And I think whilst he's very decisive, he's also the reason why United get counted on a lot because he gives the ball away. Just Al Qaeda football, but, bro. Yeah. But the, the thing about that, um, Dan, is that you see with Bruno Fernandes, yeah, he's a toxic poison, yeah. <laughs> But but we actually we need that poison in that in that he's actually the number ten we need because we haven't got a clear cohesive plan going forward and um, Ole I know people deride him for his tactics and I I haven't seen much to say that he's got a clue in terms of what we're doing going forward but I think that's why we need Fernandez because we rely so much on individual brilliance from players and Fernandez is the number ten that can give us that. Like I can't Van der Beek, you can't argue with the stats too tough, you know. You yeah. can't argue with the stats too tough. Like, Van der Beek is Van der Beek is probably more the profile that like people would love to watch and see play. But you look at everyone around him, he's not playing very well because we're not really moving in in sort of passing lanes and passing triangles, and he's not really flourishing and getting it off because to be honest, he's he's not Bruno. So for all Bruno's um for all Bruno's frailties, or well, not even frailties, just faults. Um, like he does come up with the goods for us, and in, in, you know in the United team is what we need, man. The, the, the thing, the thing on Bruno for me is that I think United have enough capable attackers. I think you have Cavani, Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, all guys who are not firing right now. Um, granted, but I think you have enough capable attackers, and also a few attackers that go in behind. It's, it's not just all ball, ball to feet merchants. So I feel like finding a player that really unlock, you'd say unlock or facilitates. And mm. them getting into better positions would be key for me. Whereas I think Bruno very much is he he's he's just he's just chaos football. Like he gets the <laughs> ball and he attempts a 30 yard free ball, he attempts a, a long ball over the top. He he'll try a first first ball and um, first um pass on the on the spin, left foot, half volley, he'll just try the maddest stuff and he gives the ball away too much. And I think really what United actually need, even though Bruno is super productive and you cannot argue with his numbers really. They need someone that facilitates the attackers better than Bruno does, because Bruno really doesn't do that that well. He creates for them on occasion, but a lot of times it's just it's just it's just things that are not really measured. Bruno is not measured enough for me, and I think I think that has a knock-on effect on on the way you play offensively and defensively. But then he also has the individual quality that still lets him decide games. So yeah, so in a way, Bruno is the solution, but he's also not. It's kind of fucked. Yeah. So if I could then, just add to that quickly, I was just, uh, and I agree with you, we do have talented players going forward, but what one weakness of them is a lot of those players are streaky players. Marshall, um, Rashford. Confident, confidence players, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And and we haven't seen um, those sort of players perform over the entire length of a season like you've seen true, from the Liverpool forwards. So, yeah. I think, I think personally, sorry, Bruno's got, a, a crazy. I mean, I completely agree what everything German Dan said, but I, I'm kind of in Steve's camp here because, for me, if you're surrounded by players 
who won't force a situation. Ultimately, what is the difference between a player who attempts 10 through balls unsuccessfully and a, a more sensible player who will only attempt three if both of them successfully only complete one through ball? Do you get what I mean? If the output is the same, regardless of how it looks aesthetically, you're getting the same thing because ultimately goals and assists are currency and no one will take aesthetics over production. You, No one, literally no one will take that. 100%. But it depends, it depends though, because I feel like, you know, there's the, that conversation about United of old when they had Van Nistelrooy um, up front clapping goals. You know, that's, that was probably their least successful time uh, in the Premier League uh, under Sir Alex Ferguson. But then when he was sold and then they went to a more, um, I guess, coherent attack where all of the attackers shared goals, that's when they, they you know, had the most success. And I, I kind of get Dan's point that at the moment, everything has to go through Bruno Fernandes. Yeah, like if it doesn't go through Bruno Fernandes, United are not doing anything, right? And yes, it works because Bruno gets all the numbers. But, you know, if they did have a more coherent attacking plan, who's to say that as a team, they wouldn't do better. I, I, I agree with that, though. I agree I mean? that eventually they will outgrow Bruno. But right now, mm. in their current form, as in, in the current structure of what Man United are, there's no Man United that are better without Bruno. And I think yeah. that's the big misconception that I just, some United yeah. fans have. I think, Dan, if you look at us sometimes, yeah, we're, we're just too safe. And Bruno is the exact opposite of safe. We use the word chaos. Sometimes when... Uh, the game in midweek when we played West Ham, yeah, nobody, nobody wanted to pass the ball forward. Van der Beek, I was, I was so, I was so disappointed by his his play because everything was sideways. You look at Fred and McTominay, even when they do try and play it forward, it doesn't really work. And so, I think that's why we're so reliant and so dependent on Bruno and everything goes through him, not as um, a tactical sort of plan, but just by default, because he's the only person willing to try. Mm, fair enough. Um, just my last point on Man United, and I feel like that sort of takes us into this sort of top four chat. Um, just a fun fact, Man United have conceded the most goals of any side um, in the current sort of top 10 position in the league outside of Liverpool, who have pretty much a ravaged back line. So, you would expect a normal Liverpool side would concede less goals, which means Man United at their maximum have conceded 31 goals in 24 games. And now with no Paul Pogba uh, for the foreseeable future, um, midfield combo of McFred, um, attacking contributions drying up as well, plus this defence, where do we see Man United now heading in this, in this top four battle, which they are going to be sucked into? Um, I'm coming to you on this, Mush. Oh, you know what? It's nice. It's nice that along with our downfall, there, there's things going on elsewhere, man, because it, it was painful seeing them lot do well whilst we were doing badly. I think, I think personally, I mean, we've all kind of touched on it. There's enough individual quality there to, to bail out, you know, Man United for so many of these games. And in a Premier League season like we have, where teams don't have enough time to train, set up tactical plans and stuff like that, it's going to be individual quality against a defender that probably has only had two, three days rest, that's always going to come. I think Rashford, though he's been poor, he, he he looks so fit and powerful at the moment in terms of his his just ability to burst past players. And I think that's always going to be going to be a threat. Cavani's never going to stop moving. Even, even United's defence has been bad throughout the season. So I think this is a Liverpool 13-14 situation where, you know, there's so much quality up top. And then it's just going to die down. So I still expect United to finish second or third. But 
like everyone else, miles behind City, man. Mm. German Dan, I'm coming to you next on this now because I actually want to read the table. So we've got um, we've got ten points separating a second spot to ninth spot, but maybe we should actually zoom in more towards the the sides who are actually competing for the top four. So we've got um, we have got seven points <laughs> separating second and sixth. Uh, Man Man United second, Leicester third, Liverpool fourth, Chelsea fifth with a game in hand, West Ham sixth with a game in hand. Uh, I'll, I'll be bold, you know. I think um, I think United are in trouble. I think United are in trouble. Um, I think people have Pogba has played well, and Pogba not being there is a major, major loss in my opinion. Um, just the way, as we said, Bruno attempts his stuff and it comes off, but he doesn't offer you control. And um, neither do Fred and neither do McTominay. So United don't have any, any element of control in their midfield. And that's very dangerous, um, in my opinion, especially when you have, as pointed out, a vulnerable backline. That's very, that's very dangerous. So Pogba had that element of control or brought that element of control and not just regular control, very good control. He's a very good player, right? So him not being there, I think um, that, that will make him very vulnerable in the games to come. And lo- um, not, not winning against West Brom is only a sign of things to become, I think. Um, what, so, I would, so, what I would so, say, yeah. Dan, there is that, yeah, I agree with you. Like, our form's pretty bad, but Pogba's, he's only supposed to be out for two weeks. And oh, really? Our, yeah, our away record this season isn't bad at all and to be fair we don't lose many games we do draw a lot we don't lose many and I think looking at the other sides with at least what six points down to um, Liverpool I think we should have enough you know what I'm looking at your fixtures your fixtures Steve sorry Mm, yeah Yeah, I'm I'm looking at the the likes of Chelsea Um, Mm -hmm. someone like Chelsea can very easily all of a sudden pick up yeah, we've seen how things change very quickly yeah. in this in this, in this um, Premier League season. That if Chelsea pick up a few wins in a row, even if it's just two and three weeks, that you might be mm-hmm. in a position where it's just not in your control anymore. And um, Leicester, Leicester winning against big teams. Um, yeah, so I, I don't, I don't actually envision them going out in top four. That would be a major bottle drop um, on Brendan on the Brendan Rodgers's um, um, sort of um, leadership if they wouldn't get top four, in my opinion, because they have everything to to finish in the top four. They have a good team and they're in a good position. And yeah. they, yeah, they usually also put a good run of form together. I'm just looking at Chelsea. Think they have that new manager bounce. Um, a lot of guys they haven't fired at all. If they just start firing little, little, I think they could be very close to you guys. So, um, I think your saving grace could be attacked though, as you said, Bruno, mad productive. And if Rashford starts scoring again, because I think he's been playing well, but if he starts scoring again, he might, he might be the, the he might be the guy that makes the difference, and you yeah. drawing and winning games. So. Yeah, who knows? Marshall might score a goal as well. <laughs> yeah, come on, let's not be silly now. Come on, Dan Coogs, I want to come to you next. Um, what's your What's your thoughts on the general top four battle? Because obviously, uh, German Dan mentioned made a good point about Chelsea. They still have gears to go, and you'd have to say on paper they have arguably the the sec- the third best squad in the league. Um, Chelsea 20, 39 points from twenty three games, one point behind Liverpool, currently sat in fourth with with them still to play um, Newcastle at home tomorrow, I believe. What, what's your view on how the sort of top four race will take shape then over the next couple of weeks or months? Yeah, to be honest, this week, I think is, uh, well, next weekend, I think is going to be very interesting after, you know, um, the European games that have come back. Because uh, for me, uh, um, I think the, the main question mark about Leicester 
is how they're going to handle um, playing in the Europa League. Um, I expect them to, to to sort of go into that competition quite uh, quite well um, and go probably get to the quarterfinals, semi-finals there, um, because I think they do have the quality. But I don't know if they have the strength in depth um, in their team to, to play Thursday, Sunday till the end of the season. So, you know, you've seen it not last season, but the season before when um, it was Spurs, Chelsea, Arsenal, um, United, all in Europe, that all of these teams were drop, dropping silly, silly points um, in the league. And especially this season where there's been so much football played already, I think, you know, um, that sort of Brendan Rodgers signature bottle job um, could be on the cards again. I'm not going to say that I, I, I would, I think I would finally back them for once to, to keep their spot in the top four, but I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they dropped out. Um, I think, and I think the rest of the table, I think this it's a very funny season, man. I don't think there's a, I don't think any of these teams are really very good this year. I can't lie to you. Even if, like from other than Man City, I don't think that any of these teams um, have much between them personally from second place um, right the way down to, to, um, to Spurs. I don't, in I don't think, I don't, I don't think any team's going to win three games in a row, you know, for the rest yeah, of the I, season. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, and and I just I just don't think um, you know there's there's that much between them because you know I look at it David Moyes and what he's doing with West Ham, Carl Ancelotti at Everton, this that and the other. I'm looking at them. They've picked up so many points this season, but I'm look I'm watching these teams play football, and I'm not impressed by anything that I'm seeing. You know what I mean? It's just like it's very simple football that seems to be doing really well at the moment because the players don't have to really think they know what their jobs are, etc. And you see today, Everton are losing to Fulham two 0 you know, um, after they just beat Spurs uh, 5-4 midweek. Do you know what I mean? So, and and so I'm, I, even this Leicester even this Leicester team, I'm not, I don't want to knock them too much. Yeah, because I think Brennan Rodgers has, you know, done a good job this season and they have put, put results together. But I'm watching them play and I'm not seeing anything wowing me for a team that's in third position, level uh, level on points uh, with Man United. I've, I watched that match yesterday, and I they looked super it, poor yesterday. Yeah, man. and 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 they got they got the three points. But if Liverpool put their chances away, you know, they Leicester actually get packed out. And I think there's been a few games like that. Man City when they won, I think what five five two or something like that. Um, something crazy. Yeah, they could have been they could have been packed away. I think against yeah, Arsenal, you know, they didn't create anything in that match until that one chance. Vardy packed it away. They win one nil you know and there's been a few of these big games and that have put space between them and you know some of their their rivals for this top four position where I think they've been lucky to get the points but you know I'm going to give them their dues because other teams are not picking up those points so they deserve that they deserve to be where they are but what I'm saying is I don't think there's a lot of good teams here and I think it's just it's up for grabs really yeah, I do think it is up for grabs. And I, I actually do agree in some games with Leicester. You can even cite the game they drew against Man United 2-2. If United take their chances, if Rashford has his finishing boots on, good night, Leicester. But I feel like the one thing I would say works in their favour is they've had quite a lot of injuries since pretty much since the start of the um, restart um, from last season. They've had loads of players picking up injuries. They've even had James Justin, who's not picked up an injury. And I feel like they're... The, the thing that scares me about Leicester this season is not only just their ability to pick up points, but their ability to pick up points whilst key figures are out of the team, which is something we saw them struggle with, especially towards the end of last season. So I feel like that shows to me a sign of maturity. And I actually agree with German Dan as well. I do think that one of, I do think Man United or, or Chelsea will be in trouble because I expect Leicester to finish in the top four now. Forget about Spurs, forget about Everton, forget about West Ham, all of these sides. 
I think for me, the top four race is directly between Man United, Liverpool, Leicester and Chelsea. Um, can, I, can I just ask a question? You guys have kind of all spoken here and now maybe it's because my head's gone, but are you guys like, is this just based on how Liverpool have been in years gone past that you're automatically assuming they're making top four? I think you lot have got a better yeah. a better forward line than us, so I would expect you lot to pull through. Yeah, it's, it's Sadio Mane. Is Sadio Mane not going to score for the rest of the season? I mean, Mohamed Salah's already matched his tally for last year by February. Um, is Thiago going to continue playing bad for the rest of the season? You expect that Liverpool, champions of the past half season, you expect that there should be some sort of reaction. I but think, then, and you I, guys keep I also saying this reaction's that, coming, though. Yeah, sorry, Steve. But I also think the teams below you are worse than you. So it's not even that Liverpool are that good, but I think the teams below you are even even less consistent yeah. than you are, to be fair. Interesting, interesting. Maybe I, I've got my confidences in tatters. I mean, I'd love to see you in Europa Continental or whatever we call it, a conference. Or... <laughs> red, 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 bot, red button football, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if, if Chelsea win tomorrow, you drop... You you drop um, you drop, drop out, out yeah at the top four so we'll see we'll see time will tell really but um, lads I think it's time to, to wrap this up um, Mush thank you for, for for coming on and blessing us with your time I know you're hungry that brother starving you need to go off and <laughs> German you. German Dan um, thank you for blessing us with your wisdom thank you for blessing us with your German bias as per <laughs> <laughs> your Stevie. Stay Stevie. Stay. I knew it. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't wait. So wait, wait, wait. Why did Dan get wisdom? Stevie got nothing and I got hunger. Yeah? What, what's going on here? That was a backhanded compliment. I, I take it though. So I was going to say something about Coogs as well. I know he, but I think his internet. His Coogs internet. needs to pay his bill, but, bro. But aren't you lot in the same house? No, no, no. He, I told you, bro. Coogs has had, um, you know what? Let me not say. Let me not say. <laughs> Yeah, obviously. Coogs, he was obviously, about to 40, drop it 40 Feb, you, about to 40 drop Feb you can make it that what you want, innit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make it that what you want, innit? But, <laughs> but lads, thank you. Thank you for, for, for hopping on. Um, folks, if you're still listening and you're not following us on the socials, make sure you follow Touchline Tracker on Twitter. Make sure, especially you subscribe to our YouTube channel. We've got loads and loads of content being pumped out at the Touchline Media Machine right now. And make sure you jump on Discord once in a while. In, in fact, every weekend, because it always pops off. And with that, I bid you all good night. Take care. Stay safe. Bless. Podcast Network.